Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week or today is Mariana Kaplan. Welcome, Mariana. Thanks, Rick. Yeah. And I first became aware of you several years ago when a friend, I was in a satsang kind of meeting, and a friend of mine said, you have to read this book, Halfway Up the Mountain, The Error of Premature Claims to Enlightenment. And just the title of it, I thought, yes, I have to read that book. So he happened to have a copy, and he lent it to me, and I read it and loved every page. Um, and since then, I've read, I think, three more of your books. Um, most recently, Eyes Wide Open, um, Cultivating Discernment on the Spiritual Path. And I, I just find that, I don't know, you know, I mean, maybe we like to talk to people that don't challenge us, but, <laughs> but I, I find that your, your kind of line of thinking and all the experience you've been through and the wisdom you've gleaned from that really resonates with me. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's, it's an inspiration to read, and it's, it's great to be talking to you. Thank so you. Let's give people a little sense of who you are and what your background is and stuff. Um, you started oh, uh, oh, Go ahead. One thing I'd add when, I mean, I appreciate the comment that sometimes uh -huh. we like to talk to people who don't challenge us, but sometimes when we talk to people who we're aligned with, then we get a chance to really dive in deep and unpack a level of nuance and subtlety that that wouldn't otherwise be available. So I, I also kind of like if you're a yogi and you go to a yoga class, then you can, you know, you can, you can dig in deeper rather than having a discussion whether yoga is useful for, for the spirit. True. I mean, if it, if the yogi went to the fundamentalist Christian revival meeting, he might never get past for his base. <laughs> so I, I appreciate the the chance to dive in deeply with other practitioners, and I imagine many of your listeners, given that they probably come back again and again, also appreciate your perspective and mm -hmm. and want to dive in deeper. So I'm ready. Good. Um, so let's give people a sense of your credentials. I mean, there's a little standard, you know, blurb in the back of your book about your degrees and so on. You can you can mention those in passing if you like, and uh, and of course then you know, given what we're talking about here, a lot of your credentials have nothing to do with what you might learn in a in a formal academic setting. You've really sort of been there and done that in terms of the whole spiritual scene over several decades now. So give us a sort of a nutshell version of all, all that you've been through and what, how it has qualified you to even write these books. Okay. I, um, at the last bit when you say how it's qualified me to write the books, in the case of Halfway Up the Mountain, my, my teacher, who I was with for 16 years, asked me to write the book. So mm -hmm. that was we can weave that into the story, but, but that, that's an interesting credential, right? Mm -hmm. When we're working in relationship to a teacher, it was actually the teacher's uh, blessing and request. And as I recall, you didn't really feel up to the task when he asked you. No, I was, I was a very young woman at the time. Yeah. So, but to back up, I, I have all the degrees. So I have a bachelor's degree in... Um, cultural anthropology and then I did a master's degree in counseling and I'm a licensed psychotherapist and then I did a, a PhD in contemporary spirituality mm -hmm. so was doing all of that and and as you said I think my primary qualification for for books like this is that I've spent my entire entire adult life deeply immersed in not only spiritual study, but spiritual practice. I spent many, many years traveling the world, interviewing the greatest teachers that I could um, have access to. And of course, as time went on, I got access to 
more and more teachers at, at, at a greater level because the books were appreciated. And, and among, among those, those teachers, my teacher's teacher, my teacher is named Lee Lazowick. He died a year ago, November. And his teacher was a great saint in southern India called Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. He, he lived in Tiruvannamalai, where a lot of, you know, the, the contemporary satsang scene in, in India takes place. So I spent, I spent many, 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 many years um, experimenting. As a very young woman, I was following shamans in Mexico and Costa Rica and El Salvador. And I got a bit burned and then decided to become a Theravadan Buddhist to just even things out and get some grounding and have some scandal-free, <laughs> no problem-free years of practice while I did more in-depth psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Because in, after getting burned, although I was a young woman, I, I was a therapist and I had learned enough to, to understand that when we find ourselves in situations, especially that repeat, repeat themselves, but even unhealthy situations that there's very often an element of us as well as, you know, big bad teacher. Mm. So I was a Theravadan Buddhist, or I was practicing Theravadan Buddhism while I was doing more in-depth psychotherapy. And then I met, I met my teacher and his teacher, Yogi Ramsrat Kumar, within, within about 12 hours of each other. I was wandering around South India. And then spent uh, the next year with his teacher, Yogi Ramsrat Kumar, in very, very close company in Tiruvannamalai. And then the next five years living at my teacher's ashram. Let me interrupt here and ask, um, why did you feel like you, why didn't you go straight to the horse's mouth? Why didn't you make Yogi Samat, I can't pronounce it. It's a hard one. (laughs) Why didn't you make him your teacher instead of his student? Um, it's it's a it's a, a longer story, but I I can probably summarize it as I've learned to do over the years. Mm-hmm. I, I actually met Yogi Ramsra Kumar first, and twelve hours before. And it's it's a very interesting question, and and each of our stories have these unique trajectories. So I had been I had been searching for years, and. And I had heard before I met Yogi Ramsrat Kumar that there was some white guru who was coming through town to meet his teacher who was this chain-smoking kind of mad saint guy. And he was coming with his disciples to see his teacher. And in my years of seeking until that point, which had been about seven years, which seemed like a lot at the time, but we know now that's really just you know, sticking your toe in the kiddie pool. I was impressed because I had never met a teacher who had brought his his students to, to spend time with his teacher and, and to allow himself to be in the function of disciple with respect to his students. So I was curious. And and I think I think the truth of it is that is that we have these profound karmic relationships in life and somehow it was really my karma to be with my teacher. Mm-hmm. I had a, a, a deep connection to both of them. Both of them, um, in many ways, favored me in the form of attention and closeness and opportunity. And and why I said I'll make a very long story short, because I was a young woman. I was 25 years old. 
and I found myself in a cosmic drama way over my head. Hmm. So I, I fell spiritually in love with my teacher, note spiritually in love, right? right. Um, and, and why was this cosmic drama way over your head? Well, because, because of what ensued from there. Because oh, okay. oftentimes in the spiritual path, right, we, especially early on, we're experiencing a lot of, a lot of spiritual intensity and we're unaware of the psychological elements that are involved in it because they're unconscious. That's mm. the nature. That's the nature of the unconscious, right? It's unconscious. Oh, yeah. So, so I decided. My teacher came and left, and I was just madly spiritually in love with him. And and I wanted to do anything to become his student. And I hadn't connected as deeply with the yogi. Mm-hmm. He, on, without a certain level of discernment, he wasn't as accessible. He was this, you know, bizarre man dressed in rags in the summer with, with a turban and chain smoking and moving his fingers and. Oh, he he chain smoked too. It wasn't just Lee Loswick that chain smoked. No, it wasn't. No, Lee didn't smoke. Lee oh, okay. Was, it was, was almost okay. Victorian. Okay, so he belonged to the Nisargadatta Club. <laughs> yeah, and I did, I actually didn't care about the smoking, but I hadn't connected as deeply. Yeah. And but I met my teacher, and and as as it happens for some people and not everybody, right? Sometimes when we fall in love, it's it's bells and whistles, and sometimes it's subtle and. And we didn't even see it coming, and it's just as deep. Mm-hmm. But in my case, it, was the, it wasn't just bells and whistles. It was fireworks and cosmic openings and chakra mm-hmm. spinnings and, and the, you know, the whole gamut. And I, I, but I, I wasn't sure that I was ready to sign up because Lee had said, you know, when you sign on with me, it's long-term. So I went away and did some traveling and came back to Tiruvannamalai, and, and the yogi started attending to me and calling me up and talking to me and blessing me. And I realized that um, since my teacher loved his teacher more than anything in the world, the way to my teacher's heart was to become endeared to his teacher. Mm. Unconscious, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the love games that we play. So in that process, I became very attached to his teacher. And, and then Yogi Ram Kumar, for a long period of time in that year, had, had decided that I was not going to ever, I wasn't going to be able to leave India for s- seven years. Hmm. And, and would tell me that regularly as my visa was expiring and as I saw that he was so powerful that if he didn't want me to leave, you know, the, the bus to the airport would get flat tires or there would be an avalanche. Or, and he wasn't controlling. He wasn't manipulative. He was just powerful. Right. Nature so was doing I, his bidding. That I, I, that I found myself in this, in this cosmic drama. And the way that it played out is that I needed to decide who – who I was going to, um, who I was going to enter into the stream of the lineage with, mm-hmm. and and um, I don't even think in retrospect, a long time retrospect, there was a right or wrong. I think that um, that there was endless gifts available entering it through through the vehicle of Lee and and other gifts, right? Gifts and limitations, um, in some way, entering it through through the stream of the yogi, and I I followed. As I always have, for better and for worse, I, I always I followed my heart. Okay. So kind of like that. that. That's a good nutshell story. Now, along the line still of qualifications, some people listening to this uh, will ask, "All right, well, is she awakened?" You know, and I think that's a very simplistic question. You know, as we'll explore. Um, mm-hmm. But how would you respond to that question? Um, I would respond to that question that that um, that it's not. 
I don't, I don't find the question that relevant, honestly, um, because somebody was asking me this. I, I'm a professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies, and this week we were working on the question of the spiritual teacher. Mm-hmm. And one of my sincere and young students said, how come when I go to spiritual teachers, they, they, won't, give, they won't talk about their degree of awakening? Or how come, how come people can't, can't and don't let you know where they are? Because we don't know mm-hmm. when, we're, when we're young on the path. And one of the things that occurred to me is that many people, uh, when they're younger on the path, even teachers, let's pick any, you know, not, imagine, you know, five run-of-the-mill teachers who are honest and deep and have kept going. When they first awakened, right, they first had these powerful experiences of oneness and non-separation, and those experiences continued to abide for a period of time. They probably thought that they were more awakened than they did five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, they weren't interested in the question, not as a ploy, mm-hmm. but, but, but not only for a couple of reasons. One, because, because the developmental processes of life continue to happen. People run into deep relationship issues, depressions, nervous breakdowns, the teachers. Right. right? That's, yeah. that's the access point in the world that I have for you know, reasons we can describe. I have, I'm carrying all of this confidential information inside of me. They run into having teenagers. They run into illness and death and people who they love dying and the, the developmental stages and processes of life humble most teachers in surprising ways. And they also ideally run into, but not often, because there's not so many saints of old, like Yogi Ram Kumar and Nisargadatta and Ramana, there, there aren't so many around. But ideally, they run into teachers or sources of knowledge that reveal to them that, that the awakenings that they experienced and believed were enlightenment they, they were enlightenment. They were, they were, they were, they were in the Yoga Sutras. They talk about multiple levels and levels and levels and levels of enlightenment, and they're not small increments, right? They, they fall into next incremental shifts. And what people thought were awakened was was a really simple level or levels of awakening. So, having said all of that, my my. Um, what makes me qualified to talk about the things that I talk about the way that I talk about them because I'm not ever intending to serve in the function of a spiritual teacher. I've always wanted to be the friend and the sister, you know, and the, and the spiritual psychologist that's not afraid to go anywhere with anyone and is not afraid when, you know, a famous great spiritual teacher has a psychotic break and wants to talk to me about it. I'm not afraid and I don't have a problem with it. So, so what, what qualifies me is that I've, I mean, on the one hand, the degrees and the studies um, aren't the sole qualification, but on the other hand, you know, doing 5,000 hours of internship and studying psychopathology for, for 15 years in the context of oneness and receiving the stories of thousands and thousands of teachers and students and receiving them as clients and and working with them over many years for me is a more relevant 
qualification for for the kind of work I do and and I'll give I'll give you an example here there was I worked therapeutically with with a person who um, with a woman who had you know slept with a teacher and the teacher was married and and the 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 um, issue came out and and I did a lot of mediation and and working with with all the different parties and when when the wife was calling me and and when I say this this is many situations and many people when the wife called me she said have have you have you dealt with a situation like this one <laughs> and I said you know I haven't dealt with a situation exactly like this one because that they're all unique but given the spectrum of people available you know I'm 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 one of the people that that will will meet you and and is holding the complexity of the variables involved and in fact all the people involved in that drama and that drama is like thousands of other dramas all those people were actually great spiritual practitioners quite good teachers really good people mm-hmm. and at this point in in my life on the path i feel a capacity and an interest to to hold the the complexity of teachers and practitioners as we move you know decades into the path and all the complexities that we encounter which include the awakenings and include include the unintegrated aspects of ourselves mm. so something like that that's great i kind of feel that way too although i'm not doing it in a professional capacity as you are and haven't you know kind of sampled as quite as many stories uh, as you have um, but just doing these interviews you know and, and kind of zooming into the lives of one after another week after week that and um, you know I set up a chat group about 10 years ago that has like 300,000 posts in it now where people are discussing this kind of thing and I've, I've learned I mean my own teacher was Marishima Yogi, and I was with him for many many years and um, you know and it came out after his death, a woman wrote a book uh, that, in fact, he had had, you know, sexual relations with a number of women and kept it rather private. And at first, I became very embittered by that. Uh, mm-hmm. Not not radically so, not as much as I would have been 20 years before. Um, but um, it took a bit of adjusting, too. Uh, but what I ended up getting from it is just a, a kind of a, a, rather than a polarization, a kind of an expansion, a growth um, an, an ability to kind of embody the paradox and appreciate all the wonderful gifts and, and knowledge and experience. I mean, he saved my life, <laughs> quite literally, and, you know, enriched my life in many, many ways. And on the other hand, you know, kind of a, an acceptance of, despite the public image of his loneliness as a man, his cultural um, background and how that clashed with Western values when he came over here and, you know, and um, I don't know, and, and, it's, and many people reacted the same way when they heard the story. They just felt, you know, in a way I kind of love him more for his his humanity. Even mm-hmm. um, anyway, I, I I kind of rambled more than I wanted to there, but mm-hmm. it is it's a, it's almost the exception to the rule to find anyone any any well known teacher or even minor teacher who has not gotten had something like this happen you know it's it's hard to find exceptions 
And it's not it's not always in the area of sexuality. Right, right. It's usually in the area of money, sexuality, mm-hmm. or power. Right. Or or, or all simply three. or all three or <laughs> or um you know, Ken Ken Wilbur is a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know of Ken's work, but probably sure, yeah. and, and we had a, a deep discussion that the last book that came out was called The Guru Question mm-hmm. and we had a, a deep discussion about this, a public discussion, and one of the the pieces that Ken has added to this conversation, a very important piece, is his his introduction of of developmental lines. Yeah. So so around two over two dozen distinct lines of development have been articulated and observed, and some of the main ones are psychosexual, ethical spiritual, affective, or emotion, um, cognitive, we could say an awakening line. And if we imagine these multiple lines of development in each person and teachers and students, and, and the reality is that individuals are developing more powerfully in some lines and, and less strongly in other lines. Mm-hmm. So we get different different mixes, and I think one way of of articulating what you were sharing about about your teacher was the recognition that that all of his lines of development were not fully even and and fully integrated. Right. And 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 does that disillusion us, or does that? humble us and soften us and maybe before it humbles and softens us it it works us yeah you know over the years when you said you've you know you've been hearing all these stories part of what what what's happened in, on the way is it my heart's been broken hundreds and hundreds of times with these stories yeah. and 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 if I were to have gotten disillusioned with the path, I mean, fortunately, with, with my teacher, I mean, I had a lot of the, the, the problematic relationships before I met my teacher and, and not, not with him. Mm-hmm. But, but, but as we let ourselves get worked by this and, and dig deeper, and often what's getting disillusioned is our ideas, and projections and expectations about enlightenment and the path and ourselves and teachers. Mm-hmm. But when we come to the path, we say, oh, great teacher, you know, oh, meditation practice, dismantle my illusions, take away my projections, bring me, you know, disillusion me, annihilate me, take me closer to truth, mm. right? And we would like, we imagine, because it's another projection, that this annihilation and disillusionment would take place in the thoughts going away in meditation and we, us just, you know, resting in silence because we read something about it somewhere. Or, you know, we read a concept of integration and, and we imagine that, that Sri Aurobindo or Raman Maharshi not only were fully enlightened, but their parenting and their you know their their relationship skills and their teaching skills and their psychological development somehow they were all completely integrated and flawless and and you know maybe they didn't even you know smell up the bathroom <laughs> right? 
There are and stories like that, you know, Yogananda is, you know, smelling like roses. <laughs> no, it, well, actually, I think some of those stories are true. They and, may be, yeah. But but these people were always human. So what's mm-hmm. getting dismantled is our projections. And, you know, I we met up recently at the Science and Unduality Conference, and mm-hmm. and I brought my baby there, so I mostly had my meetings in, in the hallways, and I talked to you know, many of, of the presenters there who were teachers and many of who encountered my books. And when people meet me, I'm lucky. You know, what they like to talk to me about mm-hmm. is, is what's really real. So you get some famous teacher on the circuit, you know, who has two, 300 people following him or her wherever they go. And when they talk to me, they're like, whoa, I don't even know what I'm doing here. You know, all these people mm-hmm. f- follow me and I get up there and I articulate awakening and people have these experiences, but I'm like, I'm totally struggling in my relationship, and mm. I'm not sure what to do about my, you know, my relationship to coffee or marijuana. Or you think it's okay <laughs> that I have a glass of wine every night? And that's funny. And what's the relationship between what I'm doing and the psychological stuff? And and I have these conversations all the time, and I I feel more intimate with these people, and I my heart opens more, and I don't respect their teachings less. We're we're mm-hmm. often talking about. How can they present those beautiful teachings in, and add the skill sets or the people who have the skill sets to also support these other levels of integration mm. in their students? So I, I, I just stumbled into write a unique pocket on the spiritual path, and I stumbled into it because Lee Lozowick said when I was you know, 27 years old, will you write a book halfway up the mountain? And I mm-hmm. said, you're crazy. I'm not qualified. Yeah. And he said, would you rather not write the book? And I said, no, I want to write the book. And, and then what I did is I, you know, I interviewed 25 of, of the greatest people that I could encounter, and I transcribed thousands of pages of, of interviews with the help of my sangha and, and worked on, on the task of integration. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that I would be doing that, and then I would be writing these books on enlightenment later or, you know, whatever whatever it was and and in fact i i found a a a vehicle into into a body of work where where the, right where the light becomes more evident as as the unconscious and the projections and the expectations and then the less true things become fall away mm. but not but not in the conventional you know go to india hang out in the satsang circuit way a different way well, I think you've been serving a very valuable need because these um, s- the the issues you bring up and discuss in your books are so common, and I think you probably even unknowingly saved many people from disillusionment by enabling them to kind of ponder this stuff in a mature way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you think about the word disillusionment, I mean, if if enlightenment is supposed to be uh, you know a dispelling of illusion, then we want to get disillusioned as much as possible, you know, and but that's not always going to be quite as we envision it. Um, yeah, we yeah. really do. We really do want to get disillusioned, and and for many of the people, right, who are even listening to this and saying, "Whoa, you know, she's not awakened," but I've been to you know, five hundred satsangs, and I'm able to abide in that in that non-dual aha, no other state. Mm-hmm. You know, we we check in five years from now and ten years from now, yeah. and it it actually becomes a value. The value increases over time. Of, of the dismantling of illusions because that particular kind of high 
it's it's not the end of the road. It's just right. a piece of the puzzle. Sometimes it's just actually an understanding that one has become very conversant with without really the experiential, you know, correlate to it. Um, let's talk about lines of development for a second. There's a lot of things in what you just said that we could unpack, but um, in terms of lines of development, I, you know, I, one of Marshy's teachings was always just water the root of the tree and all the leaves are going to flourish. You don't need to run around watering all the leaves. And so, you know, he, he would hold, would have taught and did teach that, um, you know, all you have to do is sort of dive into pure consciousness and then your behavior, your health, your, you know, every aspect of your life, your intellectual capacities, everything is just going to sort of simultaneously flourish. And so I used to think there was a tight correlation. And, um, you know, I'm older but wiser and, and can see that that correlation is often, if not always, a lot looser than I had been led to believe. Uh, and it's... I think that, you know, I think a lot of people, even without having had him as a teacher, kind of come into this assuming that the correlation is very tight. And, and they're told that. And they're told that. And a lot of teachers <laughs> teach that. Um, and so I guess that's why it can be very disillusioning when they find out it's not so tight and they need to really kind of come to terms with this whole issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So So let's talk for a couple of minutes about the way that that teaching is true mm-hmm. and the way that that it doesn't it that it isn't true so i i think that um these experiences of awakening end up trickling into many 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 aspects of our development they do so in many ways to begin with they often um they often create a a confidence inside of us they cre- they they liberate energy and they create a a confidence that's not a self-esteem kind of confidence but it's it's a spiritual confidence mm. like ah oh, i'm not who i thought i was you know right. i'm not the mind i'm not the thoughts when my mind has these vindictive and angry and jealous and rageful thoughts like that's 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 the conditioning and and there's many ways to look at it but it's you know even my parents and my grandparents and karma and the nature of duality. Yeah. And it can give a... a and the confidence. person who's saying this isn't just rationalizing it. There's something in their experience that tells them this. You know. in, no, insight. Yeah, insight it's, it's like it's that. staring them in the face. Mm-hmm. They, can, they can see it operating in their moment-to-moment life. Right. All of us. Yeah. I mean, it's not the awakened teachers. Probably 90% of the people watching this show can relate to that in some way. Mm-hmm. It, it awakens a confidence and that... That confidence um, does does probably take away some some significant uh, limiting belief systems. So so it 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 does right. It does water some of those leaves and and have them flourish into flowers. And it also uh, gives the strength to then meet some of those conditioned structures and look at them more closely because if 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 you're convinced that your 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 thoughts and a lot of your thoughts are you know suicidal or rageful and such you you can't really you can't meet them because they're overwhelming right. when they you grip, have this they they grip you yeah when you have the spaciousness you mm-hmm. you you have a way to meet them so this is how the spiritual starts to support the psychological and the psychological starts to support the spiritual. Mm. The way that it's not true 
is that we have we have our own lives and the lives of everybody else um, to show that it's not true, right? <laughs> How many awakened spiritual teachers are great husbands and wives and partners and really enlightened and integrated to the satisfaction of their partner? Mm. And how many of them are, are great parents and totally take care of their bodies and, and somehow live, you know, radiant teachings and visions but, but are able to, you know, integrate their energy and, and don't have blind spots and money, power, sex. I mean, no, nobody. So, so what we see is that, is that, that awakened, that awakened consciousness it, it doesn't necessarily translate into many areas of a life, and especially where it doesn't translate to is interpersonal relationship. Mm. There's often very little connection between the two. I mean, a lot of these great awakened teachers are very awkward with students, you know, socially, mm. any any kind of relational relational interaction, and mm. and to me, it's it's not a problem. It's really only a problem if that teaching is repeated. So we're hanging around waiting for our awakening to penetrate all the areas of our lives. So a lot of these relational challenges, they emerged, they emerged in relationship. The wounds emerged in relationship. And in fact, the healing, the, a lot of the healing happens in relationship. If you have you know, significant wounds that most of the people on the spiritual path have, and we can talk about this, but I'm not really interested in, you know, that's just your story. Because mm-hmm. that story plays out, you know, in all the days of your lives, and it plays out in your health, and it plays out in your posture, and it plays out in the balance of your life. So, so for me, I'm, I'm much more resonant with a perspective, uh, a tantric perspective, where, where duality and non-duality co-emerge and, mm-hmm. and play out as aspects of the one. That's, that makes sense to me. Mm. But as these wounds emerged in relationship, so the healing emerged. So the healing emerges in relationship. If we had relational wounds that tend to isolate us or separate us or make us loners, or sometimes that masks as independent, right? Hanging out and doing a bunch of inquiry while we're traveling around the world in retreats is never going to increase our relationship skills. If we're lucky on one of those retreats, we'll meet somebody else like that. You fall in love, spiritually in love, you know, then you clash and you say, whoa, we've got to do something about this. And you get into therapy or whatever you start doing and you start doing the relational work and then you let this wonderful, I always see it kind of like, you know, a nice little figure eight where the awakening gives confidence to bear more deeply into the psychological material. And as we unravel it, it makes more space and that space is almost spiritual and it allows more space in our meditation and our awareness and then we're willing and able to penetrate more deeply and and in that way a a deeper integration starts to emerge throughout life that is trustworthy and it makes us you know a good friend and and a good partner and it makes us more honest in our business relationships and we'll probably get more out of our longevity and health through the integration and learning how to balance our bodies and our passions for the path, but our need for rest mm. in, in that way, then expecting our non-dual realization to Take transform our meditation posture, you know? 
Yeah. There's a there's an old analogy that if you pull any one leg of a table, all the other legs will come along. But um, in terms of what you've just been saying, you know, we could say that there are ways in which the other legs are kind of stuck, and so you have to pull a lot harder on the one leg to get the others to come along. But if you can kind of get rid of the gunk that's holding up or sticking the other legs, then it will actually be easier to move the table. So you know, you're you're saying just kind of you can take a multi-pronged approach in which you kind of simultaneously. Maybe you still have your transcendent meditation practice, but you're also working on relationship issues or maybe getting into therapy or, you know, doing yoga for your body or, you know, mm-hmm. you can sort of uh, work on all the levels simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And yeah. idea, ideally, a teacher, not that a, a teacher would have to have all those capacities, mm-hmm. but ideally they would um, include that in their teaching mm-hmm. so that their sincere but less seasoned followers would would get that as part of the teaching so they would be looking out to attend to their integrated development mm-hmm. I was thinking about um, the idea when I was thinking about doing this interview and I was reading eyes wide open and I kept, I kept thinking all right halfway up the mountain so does she see there to be a summit to the mountain and then as, as I was reading eyes wide open you, <laughs> you said that you had come to the conclusion there wasn't one and so that kind of answered that question but in thinking about that question I was uh, you know, I kind of fished around a little bit and came up with something interesting from the Yoga Vasishta that I just want to throw out and uh, see where it takes us. Um, they, the Yoga Vasishta defines 16 basic levels of evolution, or kalas as mm-hmm. they call them. And uh, the first is rocks, minerals, and stuff. The second, the second uh, couple are plants. After that, animals, three and four. The average human beings, according to this structure, are in kala five more spiritually inclined human beings would be Kala 6, saints Kala 7, really advanced sages and saints maybe Kala 8 and beyond that human being, the human body cannot sustain it, anything greater unless maybe one is an avatar or something and it goes all the way up to 16 supposedly and supposedly uh, you know Krishna or something is 16. Now of course you know people might not have any faith or, or respect for the Yoga Vasishta or that whole the whole Indian tradition but it, it throws out an interesting thing which is that when we talk about enlightenment uh, we're, we're asking sort of relative to what you know relative to yeah. you know the, the greatest that a human being has ever uh, attained but what is that rel- relative to mm-hmm. and uh, in fact Mar- Maharishi once said I was in a meeting with him he said you know we talk about immortality sometimes but if we really want immortality do we want to be immortal in these bodies <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it kind of reminds me it's a little bit of the opposite but but me and my girlfriend Laura back in the ashram days mm-hmm. you know there was always talk about we have to get off the wheel and 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 we used to talk you know in the corner of the ashram she's like I don't want to get off the wheel you know I like being alive I don't want to leave my body and I said yeah me neither like mm-hmm. I don't want to get out of this you know I just want to you know I want to do it well I want to live it and, yeah and, um, it's, and and I mean you know the, the, the teachers I've spoken to, um, and you've probably spoken to the same ones and many more, whom I consider the most, in my opinion, the most mature in their understanding say, I see no end to this. You know, there seems to be no end to the refinement and the embodiment, uh, the, ex- the degree to which, you know, this can be expressed. So I'm just yeah. along for the ride, you know, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, and that you know, and that that's that's why, and I didn't I didn't 
I kind of knew it at the time, but I was too young to really grasp it. When I met Yogi Ramsurat Kumar, mm -hmm. just meeting him and being with him for a year was 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 uh, so valuable to to the rest of my spiritual experience because very young in the path, having met you know all kinds of different teachers at at different levels and the shamans and the Buddhists and the non-dual teachers, right? Suddenly, I meet somebody who's so, so much wider and so much more, um, so much more profoundly enlightened than anything I had imagined. Uh, what was it about him or that enabled you to really be convinced of that? I mean, here, he, the, the outer appearance could have been a little off-putting with the cigarettes and the rags, but, but <laughs> and, and of course, there's always your subjective ability to evaluate that we have to take into consideration, but what, what convinced you so solidly that this was the case? Um, what convinced me so solidly that it was the case was, was, was my, my daily experience of being in his presence for a year. Um, it wasn't really anything anybody said. It was, you know, let's say I've interviewed and, and met, I don't know, 100 or 200 um, world-renowned teachers in my life, um, and a number of them before I had met him. There, there was, you know, there was one among them, and I don't think it was necessarily more so than what I would have found in Ramana if I had gotten to meet him or Papa Ramdas or Abindo. But there was one of them that, that um, I mean, the, the, the talk of enlightenment, I mean, it was so far, so far gone in, in the history of the conversation, it never would have come up. Mm. He had had his awakening when he was 30, you know, he had gone to Swami Papa Ramdas and he had gone to Ramana and he had gone to Aurobindo, but he did his practice, he had this awakening. 40 some years before I had met him and he never stopped going. How do I know this? And of course my subjective experience was mixed in it, but because I because I because I experienced it, you know, to to my satisfaction, I they said of of Swami Papa Ramdas, so not not our Ramdas Richard Albert, but but right. Swami Papa Ramdas of South India, they mm -hmm. they there was a quote about him that said uh, Ramdas plays football with the planets. <laughs> and I I just watched I watched. Yeah. I watched Yogi Ramsar Kumar wielding cosmic forces and moving things around and sending us around the room carrying orchids like what the hell are we doing while, you know, cosmic energies are getting used for you to go who knows where with mm -hmm. but with a conviction that that it was healing. I watched I watched like a bleeding heart of love that never stopped pulsing and I'd wander the streets at night in Tirvanamalai because I was in my, you know, god God mad, God high days, and two in the morning, you'd hear him chanting, and five in the morning, and and I watched the miraculous healings, and and all without any fanfare. Mm -hmm. You know, the only fanfare was the the um, kind of obnoxious devotees <laughs> um, who who said, you know, he's God because you saw, you know, that person get healed from cancer, but no fanfare, no expression, no talk of enlightenment. It just was. Mm -hmm was a, a way that, that life was being expressed. Mm. So whether I'm completely accurate in my perception or even, you know, in part accurate in it, raise the bar. So when I go to these conferences, you know, and it's, 
this teacher talking about non-dual realization and this one, and and many of them I I I actually love and respect because they they know that they're talking about it to serve the people who are listening, but that there's there's much you know much more. It's like I I I became certain that that it's endless. Yeah, it's like the the. The criteria you just described regarding Yogi Ram Samat Kumar, um, whose name I'm learning to say here, um, a lot of the plain vanilla neo-advaitists might just say, oh, that's just tinsel, you know, it's just nonsense, it's all falderall. I mean, what, what it really comes down to is there's only this, and, and all that is sort of superfluous. And But um, I'm kind of with you in that, you know, the... He the, agreed. The fundamental non-dual... Yeah, but the fundamental non-dual realization is kind of... Um, First base, in the sense that beyond that, who can say to what extent that can be manifested or mm-hmm. uh, you know translated into uh, the rel- the relative world? And there is there is right also there is just this, mm-hmm. but, yeah, but what absolutely. is our what is our perception of just this? Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of non you know quote unquote non dual realization is an insight. Of just this, you know, without even getting the the body into it to begin with, and and the the depth at which just this could be experienced while right just going to the bathroom and just having a meal, but the the depth to which that could be embodied and penetrated. So when I'm hanging out with Lee and we're going to the movies, his just this and my just this. Um, are are of a, a different um, a different um, quality caliber, and, yeah, yeah. And let, that that was my first uh, spiritual realization. I, I was 18 years old. I had taken LSD for the first time. I'd been up all night, and I walked into a donut shop, and with my friends, and I was struck <laughs> by the contrast of what I was seeing in that donut shop. And what apparently the lady serving donuts was was seeing, I thought, holy mackerel, it's all about actually perceiving the world more fully. You know, it's not like the world is a a set static thing and it is what it is. It's all dependent upon our capacity to really grok what's going on. And Rick, like, why why would we want enlightenment to be the end? Why would we want to be? Why would we want to be enlightened and, and have reached the top? Because... Right, that that's I did a, a piece in, in Eyes Wide Open. I articulated these um, ten sexually transmitted, I mean spiritually transmitted diseases, <laughs> <laughs> and people like that, you know. And, it was and one of them is I've arrived, right? That's the last one. It's the deadly yeah. virus. I've mm-hmm. arrived, and why is it the deadly virus? Because as soon as you you identify with I have arrived, there's nowhere left to go. It's a very common virus, though, and that that puzzles me in a way. I mean, it's like you see it all over the place, and. Do you have any comments on why it may be so common? Um, it's a good question. It's it's worth revisiting in, in in this moment, right? Because for me, it's it's when I think about it, it's really quite simple. If I've arrived, then my growth stops, and mm-hmm. I love right. I love, I love, I love God. I love mysticism. I want to keep going till till the day I die. And if I had already arrived. Okay, so you can like hang a signpost and become a spiritual teacher. So what? I mean, it's it's it seems so limiting. Let's you off the hook, maybe. I mean, you you don't have to bother with all that messy practice and therapy and self exploration. If you've arrived, you can just kind of relax and rest on your laurels. 
we imagine. I mean, maybe it's prevalent because we're, right? Because we, we want to be happy and we want to be free of suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, we want to, I don't know entirely because I don't relate to it. But mm-hmm. even, even though it's prevalent, um, I, I think it's a stage and it may even be a, a stage in, in our Western collective um, moment of importing non-dual teachings because even if it's fairly prevalent now as I was saying you know I was sitting in the hallways talking to the teachers when they weren't giving the aha to the 300 students at the conference and and they weren't talking they weren't coming to me and saying hey Mariana like it's all just this there's no me and no you they're like boy what do you think of meds you know is there moments in the path when it, you know and 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 you know what do you think of this and my relationship's really on the rocks and mm. so i i think that that i think that that life will continue to inform all of us we'll get older right things happen and and those things that happen humble us because the things that happen as we get older is is the that the patterns that we assumed were in other people we didn't think they were patterns right the relationship stuff they they repeat themselves in our lives and and we you know we find ourselves that we're the one with the cancer you know and 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 getting challenged with our with our existential fears and and devastations or you know we're the ones these non-dual teachers right if they have they have a children and those children become teenagers and and maybe those teenagers are enlightened but maybe some of those teenagers you know end up there there's wonderful stories you know they end up in in accidents or or worse you know they end up in drugs and mm-hmm. and and life itself will will end up confront confronting us mm. one of so, one of my um one of my spiritual superheroes who's a dear friend and he's always been one of my I had my teacher but I have a few different spiritual kind of I call them uncles and aunts in the world and uh, you know who always help me out and and I I just watch their lives and learn from them and with them and one of them is Claudio Naranjo do you know Claudio only from your books yeah Claudio Qu- is quoting him and all Claudio um, Claudio is is not in the non-dual circuits but he's he's um for example, in Spain, you know, he's probably the most renowned spiritual teacher, and and he, he, um, and he was close with Trungpa, and he was close with, I think, Chakchul Rinpoche, and so back in the day, you know, in Esalen, when Fritz Perls and Ram Dass and all of those were hang, those people were hanging out. Claudio was was with Oscar Chazo for a time, and so Enneagram lineage, and he, he, um. He got enlightened. He got really, really, really enlightened. Mm-hmm. And and how do we how do we know that? I mean, he stumbled into into a guru function in the sense that he would meet people. You know, he would see their past, present, future. I'm paraphrasing, but you know, he would know that if this person goes and picks up the guitar, you know, they're gonna end up playing with with you know Joan Baez, and if this person you know, does this little technique that's going to liberate them and they're going to, you know, he was just, he was completely in the stream of life mm-hmm. and was able to support other people in that very effectively. And his, that this enlightenment stayed for many years, so an organization sprung up around him 
and then the the enlightenment went away. So I write about this in Halfway Up the Mountain, but I, I love to track Claudio over the years and decades because he always has something amazing to teach us about integration. Hmm. And that, that enlightenment gave way to um, many, 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 many years of Dark Night of the Soul. Mm-hmm. And... And at which times he wanted to stop teaching, get out of the public sphere, and he would consult with, with his teachers, and, and they would guide him. But, but one of the things he told me when I, was, when I was, you know, riding halfway up the mountain, so I was still in my 20s, he said, he said, in retrospect, I see that, that the light of my enlightenment um, needed to be sacrificed and brought inward in order to bring light to those structures that were still unconscious and, and darkened. So the light was going to be brought in and integrated to bear in all the unconscious structures of his life. Mm. And that, that's a multi-decade process. And, and I, I would suspect, maybe this has already happened, but you know, that at some point there will be an enlightenment with a bigger capital E on it that, he, that will be realized. And he'll kind of look back on the first one as sort of a stage leading up to and as a necessary you know, step in the whole process. Yeah, and I don't even know if there will be some point. That's part of our discussion. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there may be many points, but there, you know. I, in fact, I, I, I was thinking a good, uh, a good panel discussion at the Sand Conference might be something like, um, you know, since the theme next year is self-realization, might be something like self-realization, destination or milestone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. Mm. And when we when when you were saying the way that I would phrase it just for this conversation, because we're doing right a piece of the puzzle, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm puzzle piece 108. I was all tickled um, as a yoga professor. Yeah, yeah, you're, you, the, you you liked, you're the 108 you liked, interview, yeah. <laughs> as a self-identified, you know, like as a, somebody who loves the yoga tradition, it's a nice, it's a affirming, affirming moment, but it's a piece of the puzzle. And in this piece of the puzzle that we're talking about, um, instead of saying that, that Claudio... And I'm, we're just using him as an example. I don't actually know what Claudio sure. would say. But instead of an enlightenment with a capital E, I think we're talking in terms of integration. Mm-hmm. And I find that more interesting. You know, a profound human integration that, that, ex- that, that doesn't have a bottom and it doesn't have a top mm. and it doesn't have sides, right? And the depth doesn't have an end as you travel, you know, inward into the the layers of the, of the body it's it's an integration and the integration shows up as effectiveness you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people throughout spain and north america and south america are touched and and then he started working in in education and the the effectiveness the effectiveness of his capacity to 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 touch and to serve and the, 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 the love that emerges. Check this out. I was... Um, let, let me just interject yeah. before you tell that story, and that is that if we're going to use the word enlightenment at all, um, I think, that, and, and if we're going to give it a superlative connotation, then I think it should definitely include integration and perhaps a number of other things. But, you know, um, I mean, we use words to denote all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to use the word, let's let's give it a sort of a let's let's really make it superlative by packing in <laughs> everything that mm-hmm. can potentially be mm-hmm. developed, including that integration you were just referring to. But I, I interrupted. Please tell yeah. the story you're about to yeah. tell. No, I I appreciate that point, 
And in order to do that, we really need to commit to um, ongoingly meeting our projections onto, onto the terms of enlightenment and awakening and, and re revisiting our ideas about all of these things as, as life experience uh, affects us. Yeah. And, and not being too proud to, to not be to, so that we can, we can let, let these things um, fall away and let ourselves um, you know, confidently stand in a different body of knowledge even than we stated with conviction five or ten years before. Mm -hmm. Not because we're hypocrites, but because we're learning. Yeah. Um, you're you're going to tell a story of something? Yeah, I was, I was at a, a CIS event. Um, CIS means what? Uh, I'm sorry, the California Institute of Integral Studies, this uh -huh, graduate okay. school in San Francisco where I teach. And oh. it was in the lineage of Sri Aurobindo. And it's a new friend. I think I can use him by name. His name is Alan Combs. He's a famous writer, and oh. and he was he was teaching in the program. So we were having a, a conversation, and we started talking about the path. And he said something really um, quite beautiful to to me. I found it very beautiful. And he he's I, we were talking about fruits of the path and what happens along the way. And he's in the lineage of Swami Rama, and he said that that what he had noticed with people who had been with his teacher, I mean his teacher died, but who had practiced for decades, is that a softness started to emerge in them. And it was a softness that would, that would come through the eyes. Um, so, so it was like, it was a softening in their face and the eyes of the practitioners would soften and the hearts would soften. And he said very humbly and matter of factly, that he said, I don't know if, if it's apparent on the outside, but, but, you know, when I go inside in my meditation, it's like it's so soft that, mm. that self and other dissipates, and my eyes feel softer, and when I look at people, I feel softer in my mm. judgments. And I, I loved that. that I, when he said that, I, I was... I was experiencing what he was saying, and not mm -hmm. because he was trying to be a teacher, but he was really reporting the fruits of decades of 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 devotion and work and meditation, right? Not as enlightenment, you know, with a big E, mm -hmm. but but a softening and I love a that. Yeah. malleability I mean, and. Yeah. And Which actually shows up in a number of different areas. I mean, softness of perception, softness of feelings, softness of attitudes, softness of beliefs. Um, you know, it's like the whole life becomes more refined and, um, you know, less, um, less structured and rigid mm -hmm. in so many ways. Softness of the body, even. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And softness of, of, of love, love for self and love for other. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, and in you know, in the last couple of weeks since that conversation, when I'm teaching yoga or meditation or working with clients, I've I've been really um, diving diving into that into that theme, and and um, it's it's another aspect we haven't discussed. But I a lot of my training that I've pursued post what is it like post doctoral post like post guru. Um, not post guru because I, you know, I still consider myself as my teacher, but, but I, I pursued somatic, somatic psychotherapy because I, I wanted to um, find out 
what, what the best of this emergent field, how it was helping people to, to um, get into and penetrate, penetrate the body mm. and penetrate the, the held traumas so that, right, so that it can be placed in the context of, of the non-dual. And, 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 and as my friend Reggie Ray, the Buddhist teacher, has been working on for many years, we, we work on an enlightenment of, of the body. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of this enlightenment is an enlightenment of the mind, right? It's, it's very, it's partial and it's, mm. in its limitlessness, it's very limited. And neurophysiologists will tell us that the two are very in, intimately correlated and you can't really, you know, affect one without affecting the other. Yeah. There's so many things that we could talk about. I could do a whole interview on each chapter of each of your books, but um, I wanted to harken back to something you said a few minutes ago and see what we can do with it in the remaining time. Um, you were talking about Papa Ramdas, and someone said the the planets are his soccer balls or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it it kind of you know Einstein used to do what they what he called thought experiments, where he would just sort of you know kind of create these experiments in his mind to work out different problems. And if we do a thought experiment on you know what's what's God's perspective on on all this? First of all, what is God? But if we take God to be sort of this vast, limitless, infinite, you know, intelligence, consciousness, whatever, that um, w- that somehow has within it motivating uh, <laughs> I- impulses to give rise to this incredible universe and then to evolve forms within this universe which can more and more fully kind of realize, you know, or express that intelligence that God is until the point where they, they come to recognize mm-hmm. that they are that intelligence and so on. If we look that at it from... Pause. That's an awesome definition of God. I totally buy it. Oh, thanks. Um, but if we if we sort of try to step ourselves into that perspective, mm-hmm. and then ask ourselves the question, what is enlightenment? Um, it's and, and also throw in the whole discussion we've been having about continuing growth and evolution and so on. Um, it it kind of gives you interesting insights into all this because uh, you can imagine there being just an infinite variety of of reflectors or of sense organs of that infinite. Of can, that I, infinite. can I? Can yes, I? Yes, please jump in. Yeah, go for it. I I love what you said, and and the a thought experiment is is exciting on a show like this. Uh-huh. So, I I wanted to pause for a moment to let um, before before people were influenced by what you said or what I said, mm-hmm. for them to have their moment because you gave such a beautiful inroads and into like let's say God is this or some variation of that. Yeah. What what comes up in in the listeners as mm. as they take that perspective and look at enlightenment and give so, a moment for for people to get their own image. Their are you own saying are you saying we should be quiet for a minute or are you just sort of 10 seconds, you know, okay. just, just before let's, we Let's just do that. Let's let's take pause for a few mm-hmm. seconds and ask the listeners to sort of ponder that um, perspective that I just laid out. And looking at enlightenment and our non-dual realizations from there. Mm-hmm. Good enough. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, people, you know, we start from an individual perspective, and we say, "Oh boy, I want to get enlightened." 
<laughs> and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and then eventually we come to realize, and this is something Tony Parsons, this is his whole shtick, is you know there is no you who gets enlightened. Uh, so what does it really mean then? What that uh, it really mm-hmm. means, you know, that that cosmic intelligence kind of somehow in at least in this point and at least in this structure this structure waking up to itself having evolved a structure that can enable it to recognize itself and and to express itself through hands and feet and eyes and so on um and it's maybe that's what the whole game is about ultimately you know i am one may I become many and then having become many all the many continue to evolve to the point where they can recognize their oneness, and then there's a kind of a new level of capability that there wasn't when there was just flat, amorphous oneness. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. there's there's so many there's so many ways to to consider that. But when you when you suggest that that particular thought experiment, I mean, I I I think about when I was interviewing Joan Halifax many years ago, the, the Zen teacher who runs Upaya in New Mexico, and she's a wise woman. She was a wise woman 20 years ago when I interviewed her. And I was talking about premature claims to enlightenment and how devastating that was. And she was like, honey, you know, I teach Buddhism. I teach Buddhism on death row to prisoners. And, and sometimes they think they're enlightened, and it's, it's really sweet. You know, it's kind of like when you were a little girl and you'd go into your mom's closet and try on her shoes and her clothes. It's mm-hmm. it's like dress up. And, and so when you give that big vision and, and I do the thought experiment, I it's, right, it, it's quite sweet. It's like, you know, God's children playing, you know, playing dress up enlightenment. So continuing with your with your lovely thought experiment. I'm usually doing embodied experiments, so it's nice to, to to enter into somebody else's experiments. I find them useful. But I was saying that that when I had spoken to Joan Halifax about about premature claims to enlightenment and how you know how horrible it was and how problematic it was and she 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 laughed and had this much softer, mm-hmm. softer perspective. And and considering it like like child's play, right? We're we're playing enlightenment, and we're sincere, and we're passionate, and we have a love of truth, and and we're, you know, we're 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 children. We're children of the divine. But 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 at the same time, right? We can take confidence because we're all that's available. We're the people who are here at this moment, and mm-hmm. and we're the ones that are doing it together. And and right, our knowledge is 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 radiant and good in an aspect of of god and and let's not be too proud to to shift our perspective when we discover its limitations Mm -hmm. and it's harder when you're doing a teaching function and you're getting famous for talking a certain way to say like whoa you know i i i agree with everything i said before but it's a little bit it's a little bit limited because i've encountered this and this and this variable. So, you know, my apologies to those of you who, who, you know, if if I've if I've heard anyone, and let's take it the next step. Mm. Like we're all in this together. Let's keep going, and that's what we're doing in this conversation, mm-hmm. right? And that's what your listeners are doing. We don't we don't have to be the teacher. You know, we we should be the teacher if we're if that's our function. But we don't have to be the teacher and the most popular teacher. 
guess everybody needs to make a living and it's better if 400 people come to your seminar than 10 mm -hmm. but but let's 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 together right be 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 humble and allow ourselves to be humbled as we as we keep asking truth to do and and grow grow our perspective together and and that's one of the things i loved about being with mauricio and zaya at the conference it wasn't like here's the truth like let's let's play let's get in it let's dig in it and you know we we meet we have the kind of conversations that i was telling you that i was having and we mm. we humble ourselves and and engage in spiritual friendship and and you know apologize when when you know you snubbed your friend because of your you know your unconsciousness in this area or that area and and move on mm. and there's really powerful there's not a lot of them but there's powerful stories in 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 student teacher relationships where where when the teacher is aired in one of these areas um, and it's a mistake to assume that if we if we ourselves were in that function that we might not err as uh -huh. well even though we might righteously judge the teacher for doing that but powerful stories when the teacher has then then gone to the student right mm -hmm. and and apologized and come to the community and brought that into the teaching and and I find that enlightening yeah you no know, I find that enlightening I find that beautiful I I, I won't turn away from that teacher. I'll become more curious about them. I think I'm going to be interviewing Amrit Desai in a few months. <clears throat> yeah, I, I um, one of my one of the chairs of my doctoral dissertation and my dissertation was on the student-teacher relationship mm -hmm. in Western culture. Was was one of his students that he had one of the affairs with. Mm. She told the story. I I repeated it in the book. Yeah. <clears throat> and then and then eventually, I think she was even part of the people who sued him. And and then he he apologized and they did mediation and then they did psychotherapy together and then they continued on in a whole different level their student-teacher relationship yeah like oh that's cool. i don't know amrit desai but i like thank you amrit desai for giving that example it mm -hmm. would have been nice if all the great yogis who came over in the 60s were integrated and enlightened and and as we hoped, you know, some people would take drugs, some people would meditate, everyone would get enlightened, we transform culture and transform the structures of consciousness. But here we are together, you know, on the ship of fools. We're all and bozos on this bus, as the Fireside Theater used to say. Yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a quote from Abraham Lincoln. He was once criticized for changing his mind about something, and he said, I don't have much respect for a man who can't change his mind. Know, mm -hmm. ad adopt a completely different perspective if experience sort of tells him he should. That's great. That yeah. com so applies. Can I, can will you give me like a minute to, sure, to yeah, rant, rant about something that bothers me? Go for it. Um, I actually don't. I I'm not. I'm aware of Tony Parsons and his work, and I don't actually know him or or his teachings. Mm -hmm. But the the teaching that you described that that's so common about you know the whole thing is there's no me and there's no you. Um, and that that's the problem and therefore there's nothing to do yeah no, to go. no no practice and so on when has that been useful to an integrated life you know as an adult and a partner and a parent and and a teacher over a long period of time for a lot of people mm. like it might be useful for the power for the teacher whose whose job it is to give that particular insight yeah, and for a perhaps a people. small niche for whom that really rings the bell, you know. Perhaps. 
um, or at a certain at a certain stage. Right, right. But we really we get so, you know we get we get so so carried away with this mm-hmm. as you as you probably know or maybe you don't as you were tracking my writings over the years there was a piece of writing I did many years ago called Zen Boyfriends. Oh right, yeah. And it got transformed into a, a musical comedy, and we produced it in the Bay Area. And then I got pregnant, so we'll probably actually pick it up again once I, I liberate, liberate some more time. Um, but but we were really letting ourselves, you know, laugh at that and 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 bring it to bear in our lives because, because you know, it helps get a certain insight. But for me, when it when it stops practice, it's just a, it's a tremendous loss. Like mm. it is it is completely true. Right, it is completely true at a certain level that there's yeah. no mean, there's no you, and there's nowhere to go, and there's nothing to do, and there's no practice, and there's no dharma, and there's no teacher. But God, it makes me almost nauseous when I hear it because it's it it, it tends to um, thwart people's progress in my experience mm-hmm. more than it helps them. And it it would be something that I would be okay if if that teaching was saved for for um, practitioners who had been with the teacher for many years and had already been practicing in a deep matrix of you know meditation and relational support and and body knowledge mm-hmm. and of course it won't be but I you know so I add this into the conversation yeah well, thank you and you know as they traditionally have said it takes a thorn to remove a thorn or as Marsh used to say you can't kill the tiger of the dream state with the gun of the waking state you know <laughs> mm. i mean you need sort of the tool that's appropriate to that level of consciousness or that level of experience even though ultimately it might seem absurd or meaningless it has its relevance and value on the level that it's needed you know so it's like, yeah duh. yeah and and right after after our 20 or 30 years of 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 practice and we're we're working on our meditation still even though there's no you know there's no practice right then, when we contemplate, um, you know, there's no me and there's no you and there's nowhere to go and nothing to do. It, it, it. The inquiry yields different fruits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, then when we're we're young and trying to get rid of our suffering and don't want to have to do all the, you know, gritty psychological relational work. It's a it's a different mm-hmm. practice, and and I bring into 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 the conversation as we're starting to to pull it to a close, but I, I, I spent lots of time in Tiruvannamalai, not, not in the scene, but doing, you know, with Yogi Ram Kumar, and later I would bring graduate students to India and do, do um, um, classes there. And so I went, went to the caves so, so many different times, Ram, the caves where Ramana meditated, and every time I go there, and now it's in my mind, you go to the caves, and there's always a, a plaque out there, and I can't remember the dates, you may have them better, but you know, one of the caves, it says, you know, here's where Ramana sat, you know, from 1942 to 1955. I think it was 12 years in one and 16 years in another, mm-hmm. give or take. And this was all, this was all, this was all, you know, post-doc. This was post-enlightenment. Right. There and, were, there and, was, it, and it was pre-teaching. Yeah, so there was, there was some, you know, 20-some years of integration of of that insight that people hang their banners on there was mm-hmm. 20 some years or 30 years of integration that 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 really started to inform that teaching and it doesn't mean that we have to wait 30 years before we can start to be useful to people but they're all they're all pointing out instructions about what 
some of the themes we're talking about, about, about the endlessness mm -hmm. and about integration and about holding that, that realization um, humbly in the context of our age and our experience. That's a good point to end on, but I, I can't resist asking you before we conclude. Uh, when you were trying to come up with the title for ha the subtitle for Halfway Up the Mountain, were you tempted to somehow weave in the, the phrase premature immaculation? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you ever heard that one before? <laughs> no, it's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> anyway, this has really been a joy. Um, I've, as I say, we, I could do an interview on every chapter of each of your books, but maybe sometime we'll do another one and take it further. But um, I've really enjoyed talking to you, and I look forward to meeting you again in person. Um, I've linked to your books from my website ever since I set up the website, so people will find links there, but I'll also link yeah. to them specifically from the, you know, when I put up your interview, as well as to your website. And um, if people... Do, do you mainly just de deal with students in that university and with private counseling uh, people there right in the Bay Area, or do you somehow have any kind mm. of interaction with people from farther away? Yeah, no, I, I do a lot, a lot of my, um, I work psycho psychologically mostly with spiritual practitioners, and I do as much phone and Skype work as I, as I do in person, so I'm, I'm um, available in, in, in you know, I, I talk with people all over the world regularly, and and sometimes I do psychotherapy, but I also do consultations with people who are who are at a particular stuck stuck moment or needing support at a, a certain place on on the path, and okay. and happy to do that. And I'm I'm always traveling a bit with with my baby in tow, so yeah. I'm I'm doing a lot on these this these years. My next book that I'd like to write is is really um, integrating psychotherapy and yoga and psychological work in yoga. So I'm. I'm, I'm often traveling and doing some of that. So, and and it's been really nice. I I learned this from writing because you think you're writing alone and it can get a bit lonely. But then you start to feel your readers over time. And mm -hmm. as we're talking, I I kind of can you know sense sense the listeners. And I I want to extend, um, you know, my apologies to the ones that are are frustrated by by my perspective and find it you know, annoying and less enlightening, but also, you know, appreciation for people for going on the ride and, and being willing to open up our, our hearts and our, our, to lessen our pride in order to consider these, these different aspects of, of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. Good. I mean, I get the same thing. I'll put up an interview and some people say, I loved it. Other people say, I hated it. You know I mean? You, you can't please everybody, but you just put it out there and and come who comes. And we're asking, we're asking, we're yeah. asking each other to give each other that the deep benefit of the doubt. Right. So that so that one thing that's shared in a conversation like this, right? So that we can touch each other in a real way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Well, let me just uh, make a couple of brief concluding remarks, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, so I've been speaking with Mariana Kaplan, um, who's written a number about seven books so far. Um, which I've read, I've read four of them, really enjoyed them. I'll link to her books and to her website from batgap.com. Uh, so if you happen to be listening to this on YouTube or something, if you go to batgap.com, you'll see a little bit more information with links to books and her website. There's also a discussion group there and a, uh, a little email sign-up so you'll be notified whenever a new interview is posted. And um, there's a podcast you can sign up for if you like to listen to this sort of thing in audio while you're commuting or whatever. So thanks for listening or watching. Um, 
and we'll see you next time. Next time will be Eli Jackson Bear coming up in just a few days. <coughs> so thank you, Mariana. Thank you, everybody who's listening, and goodbye. Hello.